listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth be heard. Amen. It happened at an event entitled Cultivating the Art of Preaching held at the Kirkridge Retreat Center in Bangor, Pennsylvania. It was a week-long continuing education, Monday through Friday occasion, to hear some fine preachers, Barbara Lundblad being one, Barbara Brown Taylor being another of them, and participate in preaching labs where in front of one of those esteemed preachers, we got to practice our own preaching. The exercise for those preaching labs, the invitation of sorts, was to be assigned a biblical passage and then have one hour, nothing more, nothing less, one hour in which to craft or birth a sermon. That sort of task scared the you-know-what out of me. Because for much of my congregational ministry, especially in those early years, I followed a careful rhythm of methodical preparation. Monday mornings, I would journey into Peterborough for a lectionary study group. I had color-coded, double-pocketed folders for each Sunday color-coded according to the liturgical season. I could tell you a whole year in advance what the date of that particular Sunday was, and I had a fair idea as to what the rhythm of the Revised Common Lectionary was. And it all started on Monday morning with the study group. Then on Tuesday and Wednesday, I would grab some moments here and there to read through some commentaries, to take a look at the passage in particular. And on Thursday, I would pull together the bulletin, the order of service, and I would finalize the details of which hymns would be chosen, what the prayer would be, And even as I most often would preach without notes, I wrote out a full script, and it had to be on quad-lined paper with five squares per inch. I could not write a sermon on four squares per inch quad-lined paper. There was a methodical, careful rhythm that I followed each week that I preached. And particularly during those early years, if you threw a statutory holiday in, that just upset my whole rhythm. How could I start on Tuesday? I needed to start on Monday. And you throw a funeral or another pastoral occasion in there, and that accentuated the difficulty even more so. So when I arrived at that continuing education event, with the option, the invitation to prepare a sermon in only 60 minutes. And even more to the point, I remember we were to go into the chapel and there was a Bible on the the altar and we would pull out 
a slip of paper that would have whatever our assigned reading would be. I was hoping it wasn't going to be from Leviticus. <laughs> we only had one hour to prepare a sermon. Although I was far away from home, I knew only one other uh, preacher there, and we were gathered from all over the northeastern part of the United States and uh, Ontario. I would not see those individuals again. So if I bombed with that one-hour sermon, what did I have to lose? So I took it. I took the opportunity to try out. What did I have to lose? Perhaps I had something to gain. I'm going to suggest that that experience connects in some way with what Jesus had or has in mind with what we read tonight as tonight's as the gospel, commonly referenced as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. This parable is a decidedly yet deceptively simple parable. And it's a parable that's downright offensive. It offends our Protestant work ethic sensibilities. It goes like this. Jesus announces the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner goes out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. I'll hire you for the day and let's agree to a full day's wage, one denarius. Everything's above board. Expectations clear and straightforward. The landowner then goes out. We're told that it is only about nine o'clock, several hours later, and finds others standing idle by in the marketplace. He hires them. But this time he says, I will pay you whatever is right. Suddenly, things may be going off the rails, or at the very least, take on a laissez-faire, loosey-goosey sort of approach to human resources. Whatever is right, what the heaven does that mean? The story continues with the landowner going out again about noon and about three o'clock, by which points we are told that he did the same. What same? What rate? What are we talking about? What sort of minimum wage, guaranteed annual income, prorated salary with or without benefits, with or without the payroll deduction tax? It's a human resources nightmare. Finally, around five o'clock, the landowner goes out and finds others standing idle around and inquires of this final remnant, why are you standing here idle all day? To which they reply, well, no one hired us. Okie dokie, you're hired, you're hired. And like that oh so smooth slouch of an acquaintance who waltzes their way into the vineyard at being practically quitting time, they just make a pretense of putting in a few efforts at work, the bare minimum, 
And then the end of day, end of work whistle blows. And faster than we can shout yabba dabba do and like Fred Flintstone head home, we're told that when evening comes, a landowner instructs his manager to call in the laborers, beginning with the last and then going to the first. And each is paid precisely the same wage. One denarii, nothing less, but nothing more. Regardless of however many hours we might have sweat and toiled, all are paid exactly, precisely the same. Holy economics, Jesus. It throws any and all expectations born of the Protestant work ethic so far out the window. It offends our most basic sensibilities and attitudes. What was it that Robert Fulgham announced that we, in his list of everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten, play fair? This landowner is not playing fair. And Jesus has a chutzpah to declare the kingdom of heaven is like this. With rules and protocols like that, or the lack of rules and lack of protocol thereof, is that something that we really want to be part of? The parable of the laborers in the vineyard highlights a dissonance you and I are invited into a club, a kingdom, or a kingdom that if we had our Playfair druthers, we really rather would not join. The last or first, the first or last, everyone is paid the exact same daily wage regardless of the number of hours we've worked or the toil or wounds that we have endured. And if even if somehow we manage to get our heads around this upside down, inside out, Jesus economics worldview, we immediately and we summarily are arrested by the landowner's gotcha phase. He says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last as to the first. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Holy economics, Jesus. Indeed, we are envious. We are envious and red hot, filled with rage. We are a whole stack of $20 bills, green with envy. Jesus knocks us over the head with that proverbial two by four, declaring, or at one basic and undisputable level, reminding us that life is not about what you or I do. But what God does in and through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus.
No matter what we have done, no matter how far we might have wandered, no matter the extent to which we have struggled, no matter whether we've worked all day or even just a portion of one small hour, you and I and everyone else are paid one denarius. Nothing less, nothing more. And yet, or still, this nothing less, nothing more is more than we can ask or imagine. When the roll will be called up yonder, or even in the here and now, as we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, fairness is not the currency by which God operates. Neither is merit pay ever part of the picture. And the point at which we squirm or wince with recognition, are you envious because I am generous, is almost certainly gospel, proclamation, truth, and resonance. An essential part of holy economics, Jesus, is to recognize our level of discomfort along the lines of, are you envious because I'm generous? It is an indicator of gospel truth and promise. Part of this holy Jesus economics is likewise to recognize in your life and in mine and measure large and measure small with occasions extraordinary and ordinary. The call to work, whether it be the whole day long or even one tiny hour, we are called to work whatever, and it is a call that bears attention and provides opportunities for faithful, faith-filled discipleship. There are occasions when we do spend all week preparing for something, and there are also occasions when we only have one small hour Regardless of whether we have double-sided pocketed folders and so on, and whether, or whether we stumble upon an opportunity of responsiveness and integrity, pulling the scripture out of the, on that slip of paper and taking only one hour. I remember how that sermon went. I remember only, in light of it all, that I was paid for one denarii. And so may the word from Scripture as a word in worship be the word each one of us and our world so desperately longs to hear.
Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.